We offer our gifts uh, to the Lord in worship, and now He speaks to us through His living Word. You can turn your Bibles to Philippians 3, or just flip the page in your bulletin. The text is there for you. We'll be reading uh, 3.17 through 4 verse 1 this morning, right, making reference uh, to chapter 4 verse 9 as well. Uh, Paul has not yet arrived. Uh, he has great joy in his Savior. He's pressing on uh, towards that finish line. Uh, towards resurrected glory. Uh, and it's a race of faith that we share uh, as a church. Um, God knows what we need on this journey. We're going to hear some more about that this morning. Uh, so chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. A word from the Lord to his church, through the apostle. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful that you know us so much better than we know ourselves. And that's in you, Lord, that we find our deepest joy, our greatest satisfaction. And you help us in this. We need your help. In this, Lord, as we have confessed our need for you, you have assured us of your infinite love in the Lord Jesus. And now feed us, we pray, through this word and at your table. Strengthen our faith. Lord, we thank you for those that you have given to us to model. We might look to and watch and listen. Grow us in our understanding, Lord. Make us attentive now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So there was a meeting of doctors, not just a meeting, but of, well, thousands, in fact, a little over 100,000 doctors and nurses and those uh, researching in the medical field, and they came together in Atlanta, and they were talking specifically about heart disease and the importance of a low-fat diet for the health of the heart. And so they would have conferences and seminars. Well, then they, they broke for lunch, and the catering came in, and they found that the number of French fries and bacon cheeseburgers was the same, that, that, that they were eating as many as those who would come in for other conferences. And so someone came to one of the, the heart doctors, one of the cardiologists, and said, you know, isn't this a, little, this a little odd, considering what you guys have been talking about? To which the doctor responded, well, not for me, because I take my name tag off. Um, so the, the group may be saying one thing, but as long as I'm not identified with the group, then you know, it doesn't really count. I'll just eat what I want to eat. I'm not accountable for uh, my actions. Um, do as I say, but not really as I do. Right? Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've even used that uh, from time to time. But does that really work? 
You know, we don't have to be around long. The, the, the kids learn at an early age that you know, when the actions of mom or dad don't line up with what it is they're saying or the, the rules that they're laying down, it's not consistent, um, it's not going to work. And before long, if there's no remorse or no responsibility taken, then trust and respect and admiration to that, in that relationship, it's, it's just kind of hacked apart. They begin to look elsewhere for consistency and trust and reliability. So we know it's intuitive to us that actions speak louder, as loud or louder than words. Our words are powerful. It's from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. But our attitudes and actions in the everyday grind, everyday life, uh, will speak louder to those that we love and those that don't know us at all. Um, And, you know, can we not admit at this point that we're pretty inconsistent with this? Uh, I think we want to admit it, even if we don't know how to put words to it. Uh, We want to be a model we, we want to be consistent uh, with, with what it is we're saying, with our words and actions uh, coming together, but we're not all that good at it. Uh, I know I'm not that good at it. So when we hear the Apostle Paul say, you know, brothers, join in, in imitating me, we think, well, Paul, are you sure about that? I mean, if, if this is some egotistic, hey, look at me, I'm the man, you're going to want to follow me, well, then we would grade against it for sure. Say, well, wait a minute. You know, Paul, who are you, really? But that, that's the same question we're asking of ourselves. Who, who am I that my, my kids would really want to follow or imitate me? Why would my friends really want to watch me and how I respond? As powerful as it is, we wrestle with this whole idea of imitating someone else or others imitating us. Uh, Remember Tim Allen, Home Improvement? I used to love that show. I'd wait for it. And, and, you know, Tim would come on on the show as the host and he'd say, okay, this is how you want to cut the board, this is how you want to nail this on the wall, make sure you have the proper safety precautions, and boom, right through his finger or something like that. Um, Do we trust him? Do you really want to, to imitate Tim the Tool Man after watching him? Our actions speak louder than words. Uh, we're constantly learning by watching others, and others are, are watching us. At this very moment, you're being watched. So we're going to uh, ask a few questions of this text. Uh, Paul really leads us in answering you know, all, all good descriptive uh, Answers that they answer those five W's and the H, right? Who, what, when, where, why, and how. We're going to look at just three of them uh, this morning. Who should we imitate? Why should we imitate? And then how uh, should we go about this imitation? Paul says, join in imitating me. But he doesn't stop there. He's not the only one that the church should be looking to. Uh, He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So there are godly examples to emulate. Paul has already mentioned two of them in Timothy and Epaphroditus. These are men who shared the mission, like-minded in their love for Christ, and their love for the church. 
Honor them. Okay? Look, look at their way of life as an example. So this, this imitation theme is very strong uh, for the Apostle Paul. Use it in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He'll even commend the church in Thessalonica, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to forget that the early Christians, those in the church at this time, did not have access to a lot of writing. They certainly didn't have access to the scriptures like we have today, and how to, to conduct uh, life in an ethical way. So they, they would hear those who would come and share the gospel. They would hear that message, but it's what they were seeing in those who came with the gospel that really made the lasting impression. We need to hear things. You hear things more than once, oftentimes. We also need to see them. Great practical benefit and in real-life example. We started a painting project in our house this last week, and you know, back in Nathaniel's room, it's you know, yellow walls, yellow trim, yellow doors. It's all yellow, so we need to change that. And so, okay, Nathaniel started this painting project. It's one thing for Katie to say, okay, you know, son, here's, here's the paint, here's the brush, and that trim piece. We need that one white. She could do that, and that might get him started, but it's actually watching her dip the brush in, you know, wipe off the excess, cut in along the wall, you know, the brush strokes, watching that enables him uh, to see how that should be done and go about that work. Uh, so there's great benefit in having real-life examples of the Christian faith. Not just those who talk the talk, but those who are, are walking the talk. Or the real deal, living out their convictions uh, with care and with compassion. This is God's grace to us in providing uh, these types of examples in our lives. And in verses 17 through 19, uh, Paul's making a contrast between godly examples and those who are not. Uh, but it's a very uh, gripping, a very emotional contrast using this, this term walk and around this term walk. Watch those who walk according to our example. Watch out for those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And here's where Paul here's where he gets a little quiet. Maybe the one who's recording for him sort of stops and, and looks up. Because it's hard for him to spit this out. Oh. These are those that Paul knows. Maybe they've even shared in the ministry with him over the years. See, in the New Testament, Paul weeps with those and over those in the church, not outside of the church. So it's very likely that Paul has other Christians in view here, those who claim to rest in Christ, but their desires and their concerns and their goals are no different than the pagan, those outside the church. They deny Christ by their actions and they walk as his enemies. And not just enemies of Jesus, but enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross is the place of humiliation and sacrifice place for the accursed, a place where our, our sin takes us. And so to deny that 
You know, my sin against a holy God does, does not require that, that God himself go there, that he hangs on one of these crosses. Well, that's one denial of the gospel. But Paul, Paul's focus is on the, the walk. Those who may claim that Jesus hung on that old rugged cross, even hung there for them, but their lives remain unchanged. Um, they continue to worship their own appetites. It's important. It's not just a not just a one-time sin slip activity here. This is a, a continual thinking on worldly things. Um, lives characterized by the concerns of the flesh, eating, drinking, uh, wearing, hoarding, uh, education, reputation, copulation, even. Paul shares in Colossians chapter three. The Christian is to put to death what is earthly in you, such as sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. These are the very things that opponents of Christ praise. The very things that they embrace. What ought to be shameful, they boast in. And their end uh, is destruction. So church family, I want us to consider the examples that are paraded before us uh, every day, before us, before our children. Um, You know, the Hollywood actors, the athletes, uh, the teachers, maybe it's news personalities, maybe it's a social media group. Okay, these are the ones that we're seeing all the time. Are Are they an example? Do they bear the marks of those who seek Christ and want to know Him more. Now, I realize that not every, every person we're seeing, not everyone we're engaging, is a Christian. Um, you know, Paul makes it very, uh, very clear in Ephesians 2 that in, in our journey, in our, in our sin, and once we once walked, okay, we followed the course of this world. That was, that was normal. Uh, can be expected apart from Christ. But after we've come to know Christ, that walk looks different. Something has changed. And so the point here is not to avoid all non-Christians or think that we can't learn anything, but to discern the example and the influence that anyone is currently having on our walk with Jesus. When you think of those that we invite into our home, whether it's through the front door or through that big black box on the wall, um, they, they will hinder or help our training in godliness. Who are we surrounding ourselves with that we can imitate? Um, We need the real deal in our lives. Uh, Not because they're perfect or that they have arrived. Okay, Paul's already destroyed that idea in the previous section. They're the real deal because they know they're in process. Um, That they haven't arrived spiritually. They, They take their weakness and their sin to the Lord. They model repentance and humility and teachability, faithfulness, service, all of those things. So take a second and think about that person who's most influential in your walk with the Lord. Do you have that person in mind? What was it about that person that made them so influential? Um, I'm guessing it's probably not something they said. Now it could be, Words have great power. They could have said something that changed your life. But most likely it was their behavior. 
their consistency, the same person out in public as they are behind the closed doors of their house and in private. We need these real deals in our lives. We need to be the real deal for each other, for those who come behind us in the life of the church. Think of leaders in the home, leaders in the church. It's an important reminder. Jesus gives the church godly men and women as examples to imitate. For for the men entrusted to the offices of the church is their character and and conduct. That's the greatest test. Hebrews 13, verse 7, we read, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Words can be helpful or not so much. Credentials can impress us. Personalities may be strong. But it's our conduct, the way we live, that is the test of sincerity and a genuine desire to know Christ more. Jesus says in Matthew 7, the way to identify false teachers, the way to identify the fakes, is to consider their conduct. I mean, the fruit of their lives, the healthy tree bears healthy fruit. The diseased tree, okay, no, I'll bring it back to Philippians 3, their God is their belly, their minds on earthly things, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Their destruction. Leads us into our second question. Uh, one of the reasons we don't imitate uh, the many in verses 18 and 19 is that their end is destruction. Uh, minds on earthly things, living for the moment, and in a moment, you know, it's gone. There's nothing to hang on to. Nothing, nothing that endures. No lasting hope. And so Paul starts in verse 20, he starts with one of the greatest words in the Bible, but... Um, you want to know why we should imitate guys like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus? Maybe the person sitting next to you, behind you, in the pew this morning? Why we should do that is because of what comes after the but in verse 20. Any appeal to walk in, in holiness or to follow godly examples is expressed in terms of who we belong to, what we are. And we're citizens of heaven. So to have a mind set and fixed on earthly things makes no sense if we're citizens of heaven. To try and grasp what just slips through our fingers. To drink and and never be satisfied with the things of earth. And we have an eternal citizenship. That's an inheritance that we can never lose. Never slips away. Reminds me of uh, Bernard. Bernard lived in 1100, so this is the 12th century. Uh, dark time in the church. What we know is the, the dark ages or medieval time in the church. And Bernard came from a very wealthy family. He was living in the castle uh, with his father and his brothers. And he, he went up on the terrace of the castle where his father uh, was, was spending some time uh, with, with the expectation. His father expected him that he would work for the, you know, the, the knight or the duke in that area in France. And so he comes, he says, Father, I'm... I'm going to serve the Lord in the monastery. And his, his father was quite surprised by this. And, and as they were talking about this, four of his other brothers came and joined him on the terrace and said, Father, we too would like to go with Bernard to the monastery. Will you give us your blessing to do this? And he thought about it a little bit more and he says, okay, you know, go, uh, 
go and, and follow the Lord's call in this way. And so as they were leaving the castle, they had one younger brother, and he was out in, in the field, and they say to our goodbye, brother. We, we give you all of our earthly goods. Think of how rich you will be. And he says, well, wait, wait a minute. That's not fair. You gain heaven and you leave me the earth. So, you know, any surprise that once, once this younger brother was old enough, he too followed them uh, to the ministry, or serving in that, in that monastery. I mean, what could compare to being a citizen of heaven? Now remember how important citizenship was for those in Philippi. And there are some unique privileges that came with being a Roman citizen. It was highly sought after. Paul had the citizenship. And I'm pretty confident he would have uh, tossed it into the pile of verse 7. You know, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Knowing Christ and allegiance to Christ... This is a much more glorious citizenship than that of Rome. It's a much more glorious citizenship than, yes, that of being a U.S. citizen. Um, I, I, love the, I love the Lord's providence in, in bringing us to verses like this on a weekend such as this. Um, we consider our citizenship and celebrate the freedoms and the privileges we have as citizens of this land. We watch parades. We maybe sink cardboard boats. We watch fireworks. Um, it's like a patriotic party, right? We celebrate the, the one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. And we are one nation under God. We are under His authority and power and judgment. Our life right now, forever, is found in submission and dependence upon God. Not independence from all rule and authority. So I think that, you know, though it may be in our, our nation's Pledge of Allegiance, uh, I wonder sometimes if it's recited so little today. Because with minds set on earthly things in pursuit of our own appetites and what we perceive as freedom, we are not under God and living in submission to Him. So Paul's reminding the church of this gospel pledge. Look beyond this world for their identity, even as they live in the world right now. There's a greater allegiance, a greater celebration, not of independence, but of dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We live today, we, we imitate godly examples in light of our heavenly citizenship. Now, what does that look like? What does the future hold? Glorious, resurrected bodies. Paul's expectation, the expectation of, of the church is something very real, something tangible. Okay? These are bodies the resurrected body of Jesus could be seen and touched. Jesus could eat and drink. He could feel. He could be worshipped. I mean, it's a different body. 1 Corinthians 15 really fleshes this out some more. Gives us detail here. But it's a body dramatically changed, immortal. But it's a glorious body. Not some ghostly figure. Not some bodiless, blissful state. Not even parked on a cloud with wings and a harp. Um, we have a sure hope that our bodies are going to be transformed by the very power that raised Christ from the dead. 
The very power that controls and sustains the world we live in. Ephesians 1, where Paul just keeps going, that's the longest sentence. You can hardly spit out the greatness and glory of Jesus. He says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. This is the power that transforms our lowly bodies into a body glorious like Jesus. The cross of Christ, humiliation, and the death and resurrection of Christ, they go together. To partake in the one is to partake in the other. We suffer with Him, we are glorified with Him. So why imitate other godly men and women? Because what they are looking forward to is what we are looking forward to. The race they run as citizens of heaven is the race that we want to run. Um, you know, maybe you've heard that, that phrase somewhere along the line, maybe not. That, well, you know, that, that person is so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. Um, I think that's more Johnny Cash than it is the Bible. Um, but the premise is that you can, you can be religious and you can say the right words. You can be very law-abiding, but like the Pharisee, what message are your actions sending? You know, loving neighbor, helping, helping the poor, are you actually doing that? Or are you just agreeing that that's a very good idea? Brings us back to the real deal. Hope for the future has great power for the present. We're ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom right now in this place and in this time. But it's our waiting, our hope, hope for that glorious resurrection body enables us to be of great earthly good. Paul would contend that the more we consider our heavenly citizenship, set your minds on things above, he says in Colossians 3, the more earthly good we will be. We'll be faithful imitators and examples for others as we seek to grow in grace. In the knowledge of Jesus. To press on, to work out, to stand firm. He'll say it again in 4 verse 1. It's through the hope and power of God working in us. Now and finishing that work at the return of the Savior. Brothers and sisters, you're going to have new bodies. Not one single amen to that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, for those of us who, for those who are younger, it's kind of like, you know, whatever. I don't mind looking in the mirror right now, you know. Um, but as you get older, that promise gets better and better, right? Um, yes, amen. I mean, all that, the frustration, the disappointment we have with our body, the brokenness of our, of our bodies, it's going to be gone. You know, all, all this stuff will change. I mean, this flesh stuff and the... You know, the sunburn I have peeling on my arm right now, all that's going to that's gonna be changed. But our hearts and our minds will all be in full submission to Christ. Um, and some, some of us pride ourselves in our intellect, uh, our, our physique, or the unique ability of, of our body to do things. Um, and, and you can be thankful. You should be thankful for the bodies that God has given us. We need to care for those. Uh, bodies, uh, but don't get too attached to them. Um, t- 
Time and gravity respect no one, right? Paul acknowledges to Timothy that bodily training is of some value, but training in godliness has value in every way. Why? Because it holds out promise for the present and for the life to come. So, you know, you can pump iron, help a little bit in the present. Now, now you may not be a fitness guru, but just imagine if we as, as a people, the amount of time and energy that we spend in the care of our bodies, if we, if we put that into pursuing godliness, um, imitating godly examples, I mean, whew, be a renewed people, renewed church in this time. So now, very briefly, how should we imitate? Here's where uh, 4 verse 9 is very helpful. Paul comes back to this imitation theme. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So we listen and we learn and we watch godly examples. Remember Bernard that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Well, as he was talking to his father on that terrace, before he left for the monastery, he explained to him why he was making that decision. And his mother came into the conversation. Their mother had uh, died several years earlier. But when the boys were younger, she would take them out to help feed the poor, out on these little missions of mercy. She would take all the boys with her. And so they got a chance to see this and practice this. And now that is going to become central in his life. This Bernard is uh, who we finally would know as Bernard of Clairvaux. Maybe you've heard that name before. So those of you who have been Christians for some time, do you have apprentices? You know, those that are, are sharing your life and experience. Um, and most of the time, our, our closest disciples are our children, our grandchildren. We're spending the most time with them. Maybe it's nieces or nephews. Um, maybe it's the covenant children in the church that you take with you along this journey. Modeling how to, how to read your Bible, modeling how to pray, how to respond in a difficult situation. Where are they going to learn that? How to prioritize their time. There's a lot of things fighting for it. You know, I, th- I think of the spiritual motherhood model that comes out of uh, Paul's message to Titus, part of our women's ministry here at Trinity. Um, and it's just important to, to have... Uh, for men to have these types of, of relationships. Are we pursuing this? Do we even want to? Um, it's going to take work. It's going to take intentionality on our part. We, we do life very spread out today. Uh, I think you know, even if everyone in the church lived in that neighborhood right across the street, it would solve a lot of practical things if we did. But it would still take a lot of work. Um, Wisdom to share uh, life together in that way. You know, I read this last week of the friendship between uh, Michael Card, contemporary writer and uh, songwriter, uh, between Michael Card and Professor William Lane. William Lane is a New Testament professor in Kentucky, and, and Michael Card was a student of his uh, for a time. They developed a very strong friendship. Well, then uh, Lane took a position at another uh, school, and after a while, uh, the two were talking, and Michael Card learned that Lane had uh, developed cancer uh, in that time. And, uh, but then William Lane and his, his wife decided that they were going to move back to the Franklin, Tennessee area to live by Michael Card and his family. 
And uh, Professor Lane shares why he decided to do that. Uh, He said to him, I want to come to Franklin. I want to show you how a Christian man dies. I want to show you how a Christian man dies. Moved across the country to do that. And what a gift to Michael Card and to his family to watch, to learn how how to live and how to die in Christ. I mean, I want to give gifts like that. I pray that you do as you follow Christ. So much we can learn by spending time with one another. But, but growing in godliness takes practice. Paul says in verse 9, we're not going to absorb this godliness by you know, sitting here for an hour, a longer hour this morning. Um, taking what we're learning and practicing. I, you know, there, there's a dangerous pattern in the home, and even in Christian homes today, kind of a mindset, I guess, uh, that if we, uh, if we attend the programs, if we, we send our kids to the church functions, that will somehow spit out this well-adjusted, successful, godly person. Um, I don't want to undermine the importance of those programs and participating in those things. But if, uh, but if what is taught and encouraged at the church is not being practiced in the home, we see little change, little desire uh, to pursue Christ. In fact, many, once they're off to college, 20s, 30s, you know, it's just hasta lasagna to the church. They've never, they've never seen it practiced. Um, hasn't been important enough to those that they looked to. They've seen little of the real deal. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, you know, he's one of my favorite conversation partners in this study. He says, conduct is the best index to the nature and value of our beliefs. Show me a man's conduct, and I can tell you his belief. Ongoing prayer for myself, for my children, for the church, is that we would be the real deal. That we would stand firm in the Lord. I mean, Paul appealed to this with his very life. Follow me as I follow Christ. And there's more reason to celebrate. There's more reason for joy as citizens of heaven. Because Christ in all His splendor and power is alive. And we're going to be like Him. I mean, that glory is coming, church. That glory is coming. Um, and we're going to celebrate that citizenship now uh, with a meal that Jesus has given to us. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful and admittedly overwhelmed by such word. We're grateful for those that we can imitate and look to as godly examples. Lord, we want to be such for each other, for those who would come behind us. May we be found faithful. Lord, may we be the real deal um, because you are, are with us and you strengthen us to this end. Father, we thank you for feeding us through this word and now as we uh, look to come to your table, we're grateful that you feed us in this sacrament. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.